It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals post-game edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports Commons Center with Rick Boring as we recap the Bengals' 23-10 win over the Cleveland Browns. A lot to unpack, Rick. Rick, a lot of good um, and a lot of injuries. And and I'll let you start where you want to start, but it was a, a big win. Gets them to 9-4 and four now. Puts them on a really comfortable spot for the wild card where now you're not sweating all these games down the stretch, but now you're sweating to go, all right, where can you go with this seed? Where can you go with this situation? The funny part is I'm not so sure I'm, you know, if they don't get a high seed, a one or a two, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm uncomfortable at this stage. If they have the five seed going to Tennessee and playing the four seed, because they're bad. Yes. Yeah. They, they are not very good, especially at this moment. I'm not sure. If they'll find themselves again at some point, if they'll they'll start looking a little bit more like the rough and pound you in both trenches type of team that they've been in the past at times, or if they've just completely lost it. But right now they are, they are not the same group that we saw last year. Maybe the Bengals wind up going to Jacksonville for a playoff game. It's not out of the question. It's not out of the question. No, but skinny. Let's start here because, I, I mean, I, I think as a Bengals fan coming into this game, I expected them to get some revenge on the Browns, finally win one over them. They're clearly the better team. This game was at home. What I didn't expect was for them to have to do it so shorthanded. So, I mean, you lose T. Higgins in warmups. You lose Tyler Boyd in the first drive of the game. Trey Hendrickson breaks his wrist, apparently, in, in the second half and plays through it for, in the fourth quarter. Where are we? Uh, and you also had uh, Hayden Hurst was out for this game. Right. I mean, where do we stand with all of these injury situations and how much is this going to impact the team going forward? I think for the next few weeks, it impacts them. Uh, I mean, Trey is um, hopefully we get a bit more of an update tomorrow, but it weeks has been used and weeks. Guess how many what's what's left? It's not a week left. There are weeks left. Um, you know, Tyler Boyd dislocated a finger. It's pretty hard to catch a pass with dislocated fingers. Uh, you can tape it and buddy tape it and do some things, but that's a big ask. I think T's the one I'm least concerned about because I say that it is a hamstring and he didn't play because of the warm-up thing. He played one snap, but I, you know, they, they, he heard it last week. They got him through practice. They thought he was ready to play. He tweaked it in warm-ups, but he is the one I'm least worried about. And Hayden Hurst told us last week that he didn't think the calf injury was going to keep him out for too long. So that one as well. But um, you're still talking a couple of key guys. What about the, Mike Hilton? Uh, Mike was fine. I actually talked okay. to Mike after the game and Mike came back and played. Mike played great, to be honest with you. And I, 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 I so I walked up to him and I, uh, it was just me and him, and I said uh, before I ask you a question, I said I said just on a human standpoint, how you feel? He goes, I'm good. He goes, he goes, it was scary, man. He goes, I thought I heard it bad, and he said uh, it was really hurting for a minute, and then I kind of got off the field and got a chance to to loosen it up, and he goes, I, I felt fine after that, but he goes, yeah, I was a little nervous for a minute, and that's why I stayed down for as long as I did. So, uh, yeah, Mike is Mike is fine. That's the good part. I, I will say that the, the Trey Anderson injury, any injury to a key guy sucks, but. The good part is you're not playing overly dynamic offenses the next two weeks in, in Tampa Bay and New England. Would it be nice to have Trey Hendrickson? Yes. But if you were going to say, I'm going to have Trey Hendrickson miss a couple of games this year, pick a couple that you'd have him miss, I certainly would probably pick it this time the way these two teams are playing, especially on offense, these two teams. Could you get him back for Buffalo? You'd sure hope so. Would you target probably Baltimore as a better one for that with what might be at stake? That's probably where we're at with that. And he's such a tough guy. The fact he played through it, if you give him 
you know, with that point, almost four weeks to heal. I guarantee he would play the Baltimore game. I, I unless he would need surgery, and it doesn't seem like that's the case. Well, and, and you add on top of that the fact that it's a wrist and it's not you know something right. that makes him immobile or something right. that doesn't allow him to stay in peak condition physically. That's in some ways, I mean, like you said, if you can get through these weeks without him and come away with some wins, it might be a blessing in disguise to have him a little refreshed and ready Maybe. to go right for the playoff run. Yeah, and you, I think you kind of saw that with Joe Mixon today. I thought I think Joe looked refreshed today. Um, and and listen, injuries stink, and and you don't want your key guys to miss big games and cost you wins. Good part is they're winning through this, and I think that was kind of the theme of today, Rick. Of there's Trent Irwin stepping up, Trent Taylor stepping up. There, there's Cam Taylor Britt, new corner guy. I mean, who didn't play the first few weeks and continues to find his way through, making some big plays when you needed to make big plays. I think that's what this team is showing right now: is the stars ball out when they have to, but when the backups and the and the new guys and the young guys have to play, they're playing at a high level, and I, that that speaks volumes about being a great team. Well, you got to have all those things. It says that and also says you have depth of stars because yeah. they were still playing with Jamar Chase out there. And that's yeah. who the Bengals rode for most of the day. And then when you have a key play and you need someone else to, to step up and make a play, those other guys were able to do that. So, I mean, it all complements each other. But I think if you don't have a Joe Burrow and a Jamar Chase oh, still no leading question. you, then you're you're worthless with those no backup question. guys out no, there. So, no, I mean, I, it I really that... speaks to the overall depth of stars that you have, too. And I think the complimentary part is what you, is is exactly right of um, of of not only players and making sure your stars do star level things. Joe Mixon ripping off a big run, Chase having ten catches despite the fact that you can imagine what the focus of the coverage was when when Boyd and Higgins weren't in there. To Burrow not having his best day, but still you look up, you go, it's a pretty good day by most quarterback standards. It wasn't great, but it was a pretty oh, damn good. And day. some of the plays he made late too, where yes, it's like yes. you know just him being him and the the right. the, pat, the touchdown he threw to Jamar Chase was just ridiculously good. Yeah, well, it was ridiculous, and the catch was even more ridiculous because I'm not I'm so <laughs> not no sure idea was coming. Chase. I don't think. I don't, I don't think. He, I mean, he got his head around about the very last second to get his head around. But then you know, like I said, the 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 backup guys doing those things, and then seeing the involvement of of Cam Taylor Britt. I mean, this dude's now. You look at him, and you go, he's not a shutdown guy yet. You can't get to that level. But you don't complete many balls against that cat. You really don't. No, I want to talk more about him. But Skinny, we've mentioned all these names and all these different pieces that have stepped up and things that happened. But before we get any farther, the guy, and maybe it's two guys, I should say, that won this game and that were the the, the focal point of the win for me, DJ Reader, BJ Hill up oh, yeah. front. The job yeah. they did against this Browns rushing attack. And if you take away the Browns rushing attack, you really handicap them and make no them a, a different team overall. A DJ Reader makes such a difference for this Bengals defense. I heard Dan Horde uh, use a stat today during the broadcast that coming into this game, opponents were averaging 3.6 yards per carry with him on the field and 4.7 yards per carry without him. That's a field. big, big difference, man. Over a yard? I mean, that's crazy for one player. One player is making over a yard difference on average when opponents rush the ball. That I mean, that is an insane difference. Yeah, DJ Reader had five solo tackles, which for a defensive tackle is insane. My favorite play was a play they were trying to run away from him, and he knifed through the gap. And initially, I thought he tackled the guy for a loss. I think it was, it was Chubb. Um, it ended up actually being a one-yard gain, which to this moment, I'm still trying to figure out how that was a one-yard gain. I guess he was parallel enough to fall 
board. But it was spectacular, his athleticism on that play. And so he winds up with five solo tackles. And that doesn't sound like a lot in theory, right? You go, oh, five tackles, what'd you do? Five solo tackles for a defensive tackle A, especially a, a guy who's taking up a gap and having two blockers. But how about the stat I'm going to lay on you here? And you probably already know it, but I'm going to lay it on anyway. Logan Wilson had 17 tackles, 14 solos. It it speaks to Logan Wilson, correct? Yeah. But who else does it speak to, Rick? DJ Reader just annihilating everybody at the point of attack and freeing him up. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's just wrecking shop up front, and it makes it – I mean, he's caving in opposing teams' rushing attack, two or three guys at a time, basically, and Logan Wilson is just – left free to come in flying at 150 miles an hour and taking people's heads off. Uh, it, it makes such a difference, not only for you know him winning one-on-ones or one-on-twos or one-on-threes, but making everybody else around him better. And, and by the way, BJ Hill was pretty damn good too. I mean, yeah, that, that read he made on the screen pass late in the game when the Browns had kind of their last ditch effort where he read it, he took away the screen pass. Then he came up against Deshaun Watson to take away the run along with reader. I just, those two guys were so good throughout this game. And and I think I heard this correctly. The Browns got n- nothing in the first half, really. I mean, they had two runs. One was like 13 yards. One was seven yards. And then seven of yeah, their other nine the went for fewer than three yards in the first half. Yeah, I think they had six yards on the ground in the second half. Now, some of that was the fact they were throwing the ball. Right. Well, you took them out of their game plan. And, and that's what's that's what's led to these Browns wins in, this, in that five-game winning streak that they had over the Bengals was – the Bengals would make mistakes. The Browns would get the lead. The Browns would then run the ball down your throat, and then they'd rush the passer, and you were dead. Game over. Night-night. Yeah. I mean, Lou Anarumo, we've talked a lot about him recently and how good this defensive unit has been, but this this game was a, another great example of that. It felt like, and I heard uh, Dave Lapham talking about this a little bit too as I was listening to the game, that there's a lot of disguising of looks going on pre-snap and maybe that was because Deshaun Watson, they felt like he was going to be a little confused and maybe a little slow to recognize sure. certain things. And, uh, you know, watching the game, it felt that way too. It seemed like Deshaun Watson was just a little uncertain of what he wanted to do or where, where certain guys were going to be. He was hesitant to throw at times. He was hesitant to know whether it was time to take off or to, to stay in the pocket a little longer. And maybe that's just rust coming back and not having the feel yet. But I also felt like, the Bengals were doing a pretty good job of keeping him off balance in this one. No, I agree. I thought they did a great job of that. Um, I thought Deshaun actually was sharper than I thought he'd be. Now, he had a couple of horrific throws, one on the run where he sailed 160 yards over a guy's head. Um, but honestly, he was way sharper than I thought he'd be. Um, made a bad decision. on the. I don't think it was a matter of sharpness. I think it was a matter of, matter of a bad decision, the one he threw across the field at Bates uh, eyed and read and yeah. intercepted. But he was he was honestly far sharper than I thought. Um, but yeah, I, it, it felt, it felt listen, to me like his physical tools are there, like the throwing still there yes. and he can still make a play. He's dynamic and scary, but it seemed like maybe he just wasn't diagnosing things the way. No, correct. I think that's, that's probably the right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's, that's exactly well said. Yeah. And then, um, I was going to ask you too, the, the one guy we didn't talk about when we were hitting on injuries, Joseph Osai. What happened with him? He left in the third quarter, I believe. Did he come back in the game? I believe he did. Okay. He did not have an injury designation. It was not talked about in the post game. It will probably come up again tomorrow. Sometimes in post game pressers, you um, you get to a point where you kind of forget about things like that. And that sounds terrible. Where it's you know he's a he's a player, 
but right but it's the eighth know, or ninth defensive correct. lineman so you, probably yeah so you, it kind of slides itself till the next day so I hate to do that but it'll probably be tomorrow when you find out more about Joseph because now if if DJ's out for or excuse me if uh, if Hendrickson's out for an extended period of time or even certainly in the in the short term uh, Joseph would be a big part of that end rotation at this point. Okay, so the other guy that I wanted to talk more about, and you mentioned him already at the top of the uh, show, was Cam Taylor Britt. And uh, the big reason that he's getting so much time at this point was due to the injury of Chidobi Awuzie earlier in the year. But I can't help but think when I see him perform like he did today, and in the fourth quarter there was a sequence where the Browns just tried to pick on him, and they went after him I think two or three times Um not consecutively, but within a string of about Whoa, what, five or six pa- plays. The fade passes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he was was fine on all of them. He was doing a great job against Amari Cooper, and he was being physical, and he was uh, looked quick. It was just right there in, in all of them, just manning up, coming up big when it mattered for the defense and, and making some plays one-on-one. I can't help but think about how this defense looks when Chidobi Awuzie comes back and you potentially have both of those guys and not just, not just you have Cam Taylor Britt, but you have a Cam Taylor Britt whose timeline has now been accelerated, whose development yes. has now quickened because he's being forced into these positions. Yeah. I, so I talked to him after the game for a little bit about a couple of things you're talking about, especially the, the, the couple of fade passes, the one to Cooper that he almost intercepted the one on fourth down in the end zone against, um, against uh, Donovan Peoples Jones that he broke up. Uh, and, and the fact of kind of time on task. And that's what he said. He said, you know, the first game, remember, they picked on him in the first game and, and Amari Cooper got a touchdown against him. And he said, that was the old Cam. That was the Cam who hadn't played a lot of games. He goes, now I've seen a lot. And he goes, this is a copycat league. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of cover. I've seen a lot of, of route combinations. And I'm starting to understand this. And you can tell he does now. I mean, he had one missed tackle today where he went, oh, Cam, you're usually a better tackler than that. Okay, I get it. It happens in the league. It happens to everybody. But in coverage, how many times you look and go, gosh, Cam Taylor Britt again? No, it was Cam Taylor Britt again making a play. And we're talking about a guy who's now started, what, five or six games? He's still a pup, and he's making these plays, and he's making them with confidence. And uh, honestly, Skinny, how many times have we thought, period, over the course of those five or six games, Oh man, he just got burnt. Rookie mistake or something right. like that. I mean, maybe, maybe twice. Yeah, and it was the Cleveland game the first time around. Yeah, I mean, he just he's been pretty solid. And then in this game, and and there's been another instance or two where he really flashes and you say, Oh man, he's he could be even special. I mean, it's not to that point yet. He's got to show us a whole lot more, obviously. But some of the things that he's doing and just kind of his his makeup, the way he goes about it, he seems to be he seems to like physicality. He has no problem. Oh, right getting in your your uh, chest and, and being physical with you but he has the athleticism too to match up with these guys to to run with them step for step and to to get up there when they're trying to high point the ball and make a play on it I love everything I've seen from him to this point yeah if I'd have told you before the year that you'd go on a uh, five game winning streak without Chidobe Awuja and with a rookie who'd barely played and Eli Apple as your two outside corners you'd have laughed in my face it's a good point I mean seriously the, the thought that you're relying this much on Eli Apple to be kind of the veteran core stabilizer right now. And I, they really haven't missing, missed much of a beat, no. obviously. I mean, they've won five in a row, but like you're, you're not even really noticing. It's not like the defense has started giving up more, but the offense is playing so much better that you don't notice it. They've been winning with defense a lot of these games. 
Yeah, uh, Tennessee game with defense. This game with defense. You're right. I mean, no question about it. I mean, help Kansas City holding them to 24. That's with defense. Yeah, oh, I mean, and we we talked about it on our weekly podcast too, just the amount of overs that have hit, or I mean, the amount of unders rather that have hit for this Bengals team. That, that kind of tells you right there, their last three games have all gone under the total. And on the season, they're four, eight and one to the under. So, I mean, it's most of the season, they have been getting by by holding teams to fewer points than uh, Vegas would expect. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you just can't say enough about the job that Luana Rumo is doing, but some of those young guys, um, particularly Cam Taylor Britt, it's hard not to get excited about him and the future that could be ahead for this group as they continue to more. I mean, cause they're going to lose a couple of these older guys. We already know that it's nice to see some of the draft pieces that they've brought in to replace them start to do their thing and, and show signs of, of being able to fill that role potentially down the road. Yeah, we still haven't seen a lot of Dax Hill and understandable because Von Bell's played at a high level and Jesse Bates is playing at Jesse Bates level, made a big play today. Um, so it hasn't afforded Dax those opportunities. But, you know, obviously you drafted him first for a reason. And so there's some hope there, too. Skinny, a couple of, of thoughts on the offensive side of things. I thought once again, this was a game where the offensive line just wore the Browns down in the second half and started doing kind of whatever they wanted there late in the game. Yeah, but I will say early in the game, the two ends just ate Lyle Collins and Jonah Williams alive. Yes. And so I'll be interested tomorrow when we get a little deeper dive of of what did the Bengals do to maybe adjust that. Maybe it was simply Joe getting it out of his hands quicker, a couple of big plays made, they couldn't get home, then being able to turn to the run game, that slows the pass rush down. They tried some screens. Which is weird. Joe Burrow is a terrible screen thrower, by the way. It's weird. He gets more balls tipped on screens than any quarterback I've ever seen. Well, and it feels like about, what, 80 or 90% of his interceptions come on tipped passes at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. What What's the deal with that? Why, why does that know. happen so often to him? He's not Cause, small. Because he's 5'11". Like, no, he's not 5'11". He's about six. He's six foot four. I don't know. It, it is a weird thing. I mean, and we've even seen him like on the, on the pass he made to Trent Irwin late in the game on that third down close to the red zone where he kind of had to get escape the pocket to the right and then throw on the run, kind of fake a guy out. Like he throws from different arm slots yes. all the time. There was another one where he avoided um, the, the pass rush with Miles Garrett and kind of threw around him with a sidearm sling. So it's not like you know he's too rigid to be able to to see these guys and maneuver around them. Yeah, it's weird. I, it's the only thing I can tell you. I, I, I have no explanation other than it's just just weird. But I will say, Rick, I thought the first quarter and a half, the Bengals really struggle with those two defensive ends, and understandably so, because they are dudes. Yeah, I mean, they are, and you're, everyone has trouble with them, first of all. And second of all, Joe, it's not like Joe Burrow got sacked a bunch in this game. You know, he got sacked once, and then uh, then Jamar Chase got sacked once on a just absurd play. I have no idea what the intention was on that. Well, one. well, okay. So I, I heard a couple of callers as I was driving home tonight to the Bengals post game show, and God love them. It's it's the hosts have no idea what they're talking about, and the callers have no idea what they're talking about. So. Let me just set the stage for that. Someone texted me that exact same thing right before we started this, actually, believe it or not. <laughs> it's funny. So, so Zach answered that question because I, I asked him about the flea flicker, uh, about, you know, was it the right time to call it? Did it, did it, did, it, did you see something on a film with guys coming downhill? And he gave a pretty good answer. And then he kind of took a shot at himself. He goes, Yeah, unlike when we tried to do the reverse and the guy tried to throw a pass that he wasn't supposed to throw a pass. So, bottom line was, it was supposed to be just a reverse. Arguably not the best time to call reverse. Stop, don't get cute. But then Jamar knew he was in trouble, and Jamar tried to turn that into a pass. 
So I'll be, it's funny, it is listed as a sack, as you mentioned on the stat sheet. Um, but there's a lot of times on Mondays where stats get changed. I wouldn't be shocked to see that be just a, 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 a loss on a run. It doesn't matter, but just for, just for clarity's sake, that was not a called reverse pass. That was just a called reverse. Yeah. And that's actually what I thought for uh, two reasons. One, because all the offensive linemen were getting downfield like they were blocking for a run. They were the only ones downfield. No receivers had gone out for a pass. Joe Burrow hadn't slipped out to the other side like he was looking for a pass. And then two, after the play, if you looked at Joe and Jamar, there seemed to be some sort of exchange to the effect of what the hell was that? And Jamar right. laughing like, I, I don't know. I saw Miles Garrett coming at me and I <laughs> decided I was going to act like I was going to pass or something to make. I, I mean, literally, it looked like he panicked and just thought, I'll try to freeze him. Right for a second right. here, I don't know. It was a very bizarre looking play. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly cracking all. up was just hilarious. Yeah. That's all it was. Uh, by the way, the flea flicker. Third, uh, what was it like? Third quarter, midway through the third quarter, it made the made the score twenty to three, I believe, at the time. It did. It um, did. that was perfectly timed. It and was. have you ever seen a cleaner flea flicker in terms of execution and like? The defense responding exactly how you want them to. No, so it's so it's funny. So in the press box, you can't see everything, right? Your eyes can't see the whole field. But occasionally, when plays develop like that, it feel it felt like it developed in slow motion. So as soon as the handoff went to Joe and Joe turned to pitch it back to to Burrow, the guys I sit around, Paul Daner, Jay Morrison, it was Shelby Dermer was around me from the Enquirer. We all, I think, at the same time go, oh God, he's wide open. Because you could all of a sudden, your eyes diverted to the left and you could see that the safety bit, the corner bit, and he was behind both by a mile. And it was just, just funny to watch it unfold. And they did, they picked the right time. And so I talked to Trenton after the game and I, I he said, he, he was mentioned 22 and he said, 22, you know, he goes, I, 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 I thudded him a couple times. He goes, he was a physical guy and he would come downhill hard. And he goes, they picked the right time because he was going to come downhill as soon as we showed run action. By gosh, if he didn't, Trenton stutter stepped like he was going to block him. Guy thought run. Trenton then accelerated by. The safety had no chance because he was starting to come downhill. And at that point, it was game over. It was the perfect shot play opportunity. They just picked up a first down on a pass to chase. First and 10 at the Cleveland 45. You're up 13-3. to it's, it's a play where you trust Burrow if it's not there to throw it away and you live to play another down and you're still second down in their territory. And instead, you hit the home run. That Honestly, that, to me, and I know it was still early in the game, as you mentioned, it's third quarter, that sealed the game to me. That put, yeah, that put Cleveland so away because goodbye, goodbye running game, goodbye pass rush, goodbye what you want to do, night-night, it's over. Especially with the way the Bengals' defense has been playing, if you're going to become one-dimensional yes. all yep. of a sudden, I mean, what's Luana Rumo always say? It's about the points, not the yards. That's and right. They they really execute to that well, especially when they're playing from a a position like this, where they're in control of the game and time's starting to run out on you. They're really good at the. Everyone always used to say, you know, oh, the the prevent defense sucks. Why, don't go into it. But like the Bengals. I don't know if it's a prevent defense necessarily, but they're really good at just keeping the ball in front of them, not giving up explosive plays and saying, you know, you, you'll gain some yards on us, but right. you're not going to score enough to catch us here. And that's exactly what they did late in this game. Yeah, no and that, that was kind of the line of demarcation, if you will, of when that started. Yeah, it was. Listen, trick plays when they work are so much fun to watch, right? They really are. Um, but it was it was the perfect call at the perfect time to put that team away and you ran it to Trenton Irwin. And maybe that's the part too, because Trenton even said, he goes, I've been 
blocking that guy a few times. So I'm going to guess they thought when Trenton was coming at him, and the guy thought, it, oh, this guy is coming to block me because that's what he's done a few times. And the guy decides, I'm coming downhill because it's a run play because I see run. I'm getting away from dude's block. Oh, I got away from dude's block. To hell with him. And all of a sudden, they are sucked in big time. You know, you see flea flickers work, you know, on occasion. I'm not sure I've seen one come as wide open as that one came. That one came stupid wide open. That that was my point at the start of this is it looked like they were running it against a scout team or against no defense at all. I mean, it was exactly as clean as you would run it during a walkthrough practice the day before the game. It was unbelievably relaxed and calm and everything just exact timing was perfect. You didn't have to like worry about a pass rusher coming through or anything. It was like the defense just didn't even exist on the play. It was so much fun to watch. And I think to your point, the underrated part of that is Joe didn't panic. He got the pitch back. Nice pocket too. some of it is because people are doing run action, but case you're going to get a guy who doesn't do what he's supposed to do. When he gets up, feel like a jackass and he's in the quarterback's lap when he has no idea why he's in the quarterback's lap. And he wasn't, and then the quarterback panics. Joey had no, and it was a, honestly, it was in stride. It was like, it was like running a route on air in stride to a guy. It wasn't like he had to wait, hold up. It's a flutter ball. It, oh. The whole thing was perfectly done. I mean, that, that was textbook. For Burrow, that's, a, um, I mean, truly just a pitch and catch throw right yeah. there. There was no stress or pressure on him at all. And the, the receiver was so open. The other play that I thought was not just a play, really a series of plays that led to the touchdown right before halftime that put the Bengals up 13 to three. I thought that was absolutely huge. That entire drive, because they needed two big third down conversions there to keep that thing going. And if the score is uh, what? Seven to three going into halftime as, or 10 to three. No, it, would have been 10, it would have been 10 to three. Cause Evan missed the field goal. goal. Yeah. Yeah. It would have yeah. Been 10 to three. As opposed to 13 to three feels like a pretty big difference right there. Yeah, well, and some of it was Joe on a scramble, Trent Taylor on his biggest catch since his rookie year, his longest gain, uh, and and Trent Norwin again on that drive. I mean, think about the guys making plays on that drive. Joe with his legs, Trent Norwin, and Trent Taylor. And then Chase with the ridiculous catch. That drive was huge, but to your point, it's it's about guys stepping up. And they, they've had that continuously throughout this stretch of five games. But today it was even more needed than ever because of who you were missing and the injuries that were happen, happening throughout the game. And uh, once again, they were able to get those plays when they needed them most. The other thing, and I didn't want to attach this too much to the flea flicker call because it's not really about that. But someone tweeted this out. I think it was Andrew Russell, and I, I retweeted him after the game about the evolution of Zach Taylor as a play caller once again this year. Skinny, it it really does feel like night and day compared to where we were in the first half of the season compared to now where it seems like he's calling all the right plays and he's pressing the right buttons with the flea flicker at the right time. And the the running game is on track, whether you're running with Joe Mixon or Samaj P. Ryan, it, it doesn't seem to matter. What's changed so much has the offensive line just gotten together and it's made things easier or has he just figured out a, a, a better scheme to run with this group of players or why why have they gotten it on track the way they have all of a sudden and why did they struggle so much earlier so in the season? Think, yeah so i think it's multi multifaceted they don't like preseason let's start there they just don't they don't want to get guys hurt they're big believers in get to the regular season we'll let the first two games marinate the way they marinate other teams are in the same boat we are we feel like we can get through those games. 
And that's where they're trying to figure out what do we do best running the ball? What do we do best route wise? What's our offensive line do best? And we've talked about this before. Can't discount all the new starters on the offensive line. We all thought it was going to hit the ground running. Well, it doesn't work that way. And I was guilty of that too. I was. So I, I don't want to lump everybody who's listening into that of you're just a fan. You know nothing. No, we all thought, hey, individually better. They're going to be better. And I think you're going to have to live with a little bit of this moving forward. Now, I say that, you know, you, 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 know they, you arguably win game one if you don't have an injury. So you were going to get through two weeks at one and one, which technically are a couple of preseason games. And then they started to figure it out. And by week four and five, they started to figure out what do we do best in the run game? Once they figured out that and the fact the offensive line did start getting better, I think it led to everything because you knew what you had in the quarterback. You knew what you had in the receivers. You didn't know what you had in the line. You weren't sure then what you had in the run game because you didn't know what you had in the line. All those things. And I think over the first couple of weeks, it was a feeling out process of what do we do best? What do we not do well? Let's figure out what we do best. And once they figure that out, you got the quarterback and the skill guys and the line playing better and the running backs. And lo and behold, here we are with this team doing really good things on offense. So I... I hate to say that you're going to have to live with this moving forward, but I'm just telling you, you are because they just don't care about preseason. They just want to get guys healthy, get their stuff in. And if they win the game one or two early on and get out of that one and one, so be it. If not going to live with it and going to move forward and get better as the year goes on. And and here you are for the second straight year in that regard, actually in a grander scale this year. Yeah. I think the offensive line part of it makes the most sense to me simply because the, the receivers and quarterback, they were here last year for the most part, and you knew you had them coming in. And it's like, how, how was it right. so difficult to get Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins on track when later it in the season? Was, it right wasn't now, other than it, it wasn't other than they had guys in his lap ball game. I yeah, I get that to some extent, but I, it seemed like more than I mean, it seemed like you couldn't scheme any of these guys open earlier in the year, and now all of a sudden you don't even have two of those guys. You only have Jamar Chase, and you've got Trent Irwin out there, and Trent Taylor, and they're running free all over the place. You're able to get whatever you want. And, and not to say that 23 points is a crazy amount. And they certainly had a slow start in this game. They weren't perfect. But with the game on the line, when it mattered, it, it seems like they're always able to come up with something when they need it most now. It's just interesting to see how that's evolved. And I don't speak for all Bengals fans, but I would venture to say if the answer is it's going to be a slow start every year. And it's partly because they don't like preseason and partly also because yeah, in the NFL, you're going to have to shuffle your roster around. There are going to be some growing pains and new pieces and teams are going to scout. You're going to have to find, okay, what are they taking away this year? And and what do we have to adjust to? But if the answer is you're always going to end up nine and four or around that and have a chance to make the playoffs at the end of the year and be where the Bengals have been each of the last two seasons, then I think I can live with Zach Taylor in this process. I mean, it, it doesn't really bother me if this is what you end up at. Yeah, and and this is going to be contradictory to what happened today. And for the most part, healthy. I think that's the other part to it. And for the that's most helped. part, healthy. That's helped a lot. Yeah, but I I am impressed because last year it felt like they were just lucky in some ways with with their health. It felt like no one was really getting hurt last year, and all of the key guys were always available. This year, they have had to play through some more of that stuff than they did last year. And they've done a great job of doing no that. Question. It hasn't brought them down when, when they've lost key guys. And that's been on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Rick, remember at the bye week, we talked about, can this team go five and three down the stretch, right? <laughs> Didn't we talk about that? Yes. Yes. And where are we? <laughs> uh, five and oh, we're, we're almost to five. <laughs> yeah, four, four and oh, I guess. Four, 
Well, yeah. when did when did that start? When did that eight game stretch start? I can't remember. Yeah, no, it's 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 that's the thing. I mean, you know, you're you've. I I, I think that's the case of this league is you, you if, when you get better, um, you when you allow yourself to get better, you can, and and that's what I think this coaching staff does. They allow themselves to get better, and. We all make snap judgments week to week. The one thing I think they're really good at is kind of letting stuff marinate and then making their judgments and then making their changes and then making their corrections. And I think that's where we're at with this offense. They took a little time to figure out what are our best runs? What does our line do best to fit our best runs, to fit our running back? What does then allow Joe Burrow to do? And then turning some of the power over to Joe Burrow and just saying, you know what? You know, they did the RPO game for a while. They've kind of gotten away from that. But you know what? It's primarily Joe in the shotgun and letting Joe run the show and going to their credit, taking some of the ego out of it and going, all right, here's my play call, but you can have the freedom to do what you want at the line. And I'm going to let you do it out of the shotgun. And by God, he hasn't, he's done it great. No. And that's a good point. Their leadership inside that locker room is really good. I think. And that helps you get through a rough start. And you know, when, when things aren't going as well, it helps you get to this point. And to their credit, that is all on Zach Taylor and his staff because they cleaned house right when they got here. They made certain to get the types of guys that they wanted in there. And they made certain that Joe Burrow was going to be the guy looked to as the leader once he had arrived. And they deserve all the credit in the world for that. Yeah, no question. No doubt. All right, Skinny, unless you got anything else, that's it for me. I got nothing else. It'll be interesting to see what some of these injuries, uh, when we get a chance to talk to Zach tomorrow and moving forward this week, where guys stand because um, it sucks right now. I mean, you may have Tyler Boyd down for a bit. You certainly are going to have Trey Hendrickson down for a bit. Um, the one thing I guess to the positive is it's opened up opportunities for other guys who stepped through and you are, like I said, not playing two dynamic offenses the next two weeks to where you got to win something 20 to 13, 17 to 13. You may have an opportunity to do that. Um, but then, then you start that Buffalo game and it's literally playoff city from that point forward. So hopefully at that point, you get some of these guys back. All right, Rick, thanks as always. We'll be back with our midweek podcast on Thursday of this coming week with our Potpourri podcast, and we'll talk a lot of college basketball, some bowl game previews, the Bengals, and obviously all the great things the Reds are doing this offseason and better themselves. Maybe not. Uh, and much more. Uh, so please join us then. Of course, hit the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything to ask me a question on anything. Go to Twitter to do so. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been a Skinny Podcast, the Bengals Recap Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.